This year is a very special one in the history of Kriya Yoga, which is that it was exactly 150 years ago. You read an autobiography of a yogi where Lahiri Mahashai tells the story where in the autumn of 1861, I was transferred to Raniket. And autumn, fortunately for us, there's not even a specific day to celebrate the birthday. We have three whole months with autumn coming up. And it's interesting that this technique and this science and really a spiritual path, which is what Kriya is, came out of Bengal, of all places. 150 years ago, and even if you go there now, Bengal doesn't exactly look like Dwapara Yuga Central Headquarters. <laughs> you would think that this technique and science for the New Age would come out of Silicon Valley, or it would, as a new thing, it would come directly from the Pleiadians or the masters of the seventh ray and come as a fresh new thing. But in a sense, just like Patanjali said, now we come to the study of yoga. It's the same with Kriya Yoga. Just like Patanjali was referring to what came before, which was yoga, uh, Shankya and Vedanta, Kriya Yoga came out of the soil of Bengal, which is where it first took root and started to grow. And what is there in that soil and what is there in the long tradition, it's almost like in, even in all of India, that area specializes in deep devotion and calling to God as Divine Mother and the Cosmic Beloved. I have a friend whose father, this friend is Indian, and they're from a different part of India. And the father thinks that Bengalis have some sort of special racket going on with this whole devotional saint thing. It's kind of like different parts of the world specialize in types of crime. I heard someone was, was visiting Napoli in Italy, which is known for certain types of criminal activity. And they were walking down the street and they saw something they had never seen before. It was a large stall selling a huge variety of used wallets. <laughs> and I think this person probably immediately went to look if make sure theirs wasn't among them. And so this friend thinks that Bengalis, this, all this tradition of saints, is some special sort of racket that they have. He's a little skeptical man, obviously. But if you look at this tradition, you have Ramakrishna came from there, uh, Ananda Moyama, the great saints of autobiography of a yogi, Yogananda himself, who describes another one, Master Mahashai, a whole chapter on the, the blissful devotee and the cosmic romance. And Chaitanya was another one, and Ram Prashad, and so many saints of devotion. And that's where now we come to the practice and the study of Kriya Yoga, built on this foundation and really watered and planted in this soil of devotion because the two are not inseparable. Kriya is not a brand new science or a, something completely separate from the spiritual path. It is part and parcel of the devotee's yearning for God, of devotion. Yogananda even said, he said, Kriya plus devotion works like mathematics. It cannot fail. Kriya plus devotion. And sometimes I think people think that this sort of means that we do a chant and then we do a prayer and we're very devotional and offering and then we stiffen our spine and do some techniques and then we go back and we get soft and do devotional chanting and devotion. But in fact, really what Yogananda was talking about was that the techniques themselves are done with the utmost devotion and that the path of Kriya 
is a marriage of science, technique, practice, and the deepest devotion. And when you put those two together in that way, that's when you really get the greatest results. Swami Kriyananda addressed this once at a Kriya initiation. And I say this because I notice I work with a lot of Kriya yogis. And I see that very often people get caught on the technique. And because it's, it is technical, there's certain technical aspects to it and you have to pay attention and learn it. And people sometimes don't get beyond that. But Swamiji said once at a Kriya initiation, he told an interesting story. And it was a story of St. Francis of Assisi. And he said that St. Francis, when he was a young monk, he wasn't very expressive. He was sort of hiding who he was, but he was starting to get a reputation of sanctity. And he was visiting a monastery, and there was another monk there who was kind of watching him to see if he really was a saint. And St. Francis hid it well, and you know he obviously was very joyful and was with the other monks. And finally, they went to sleep that night, and the monks shared a room together where they slept. And this other monk woke up in the middle of the night, and he saw St. Francis, and he realized that St. Francis had been up all night. He was kneeling by his bed, and he was just saying over and over again, God, 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 with divine ecstasy and the deepest devotion. And Swamiji said that the word God, you can say it and go into ecstasy and say it devotionally, or it can just be a platitude, just a word that doesn't really mean much. He said it's the same with the technique of Kriya. It can simply be a, a mechanical technique, or it can be the most devotional, sacred offering of yourself, of your life force up to God, to the point between the eyebrows, this, the devotional self-offering, as Pranva was talking about this experience with Kriya, and the receiving of divine grace and ecstasy and divine blessing coming down. And that really is where the power from Kriya Yoga comes from, is when we merge devotion, technique, and practice and put it all into one merged whole rather than separate parts that kind of come together or cross over during our daily routine and our meditation. Yogananda also told another interesting story one time. He said that once a man came to him in India, and this man was a bhakti yogi, a, yoga who a yogi who practiced devotion. And Master was trying to get him to learn to practice Kriya Yoga. And the man said, no, no, my path is devotion, and that's how I'm going to get to God, and you know, that's all I need to do. And Yogananda was trying to convince him for many, many years to do this. And finally, Yogananda said, you know, you're like someone who's locked in a room and you're trying to get out through the wall, through the ceiling, and you're not knowing how to get out the door. Kriya is not going to replace your devotional path. It will only show you the science, the practice of how to get out of your delusion, how to get out of this room. And so the man finally agreed, he learned Kriya Yoga. And Yogananda said, interestingly, that within less than a week, the man came to Yogananda and told him that he had had the deepest experience of the presence of God that he's been seeking for all those previous 20 years with one week of Kriya Yoga practice. Now, the proud Kriya Yogi, not that there are any proud Kriya Yogis, but <laughs> the proud Kriya Yogi might say, see, I told you, Kriya Yoga, you, that's the way. But in fact, if you pick up this story and kind of turn it around and just look at it from the other side, you also see something different. 
you see, and I can say from my own experience that in working with people who learn Kriya and teaching it for many, many years, that very few Kriya bonds within less than a week have the full experience of God. <laughs> in fact, it's very rare, I would say. And yet this person had that experience. Do you think that in that less than a week that he perfected the technique and crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's and was doing it mechanically and technically perfect? I seriously doubt it. What he was doing was that he was bringing the utmost devotion into the actual practice of the technique. And within less than a week, he had the deep experience of God that fulfilled 20 years of divine seeking. I would just even tell Kriya yogis, those who have the Kriya technique, do an experiment for the next month. Do the Kriya technique entirely as a devotional sacred practice while you're doing the technique, offering yourself, as I was saying, receiving divine grace, and see what happens. See what the results are. It may take more than a week, maybe not, but you will find that that's really where the power to get results comes when we infuse technique and practice with divine grace, with divine power, with devotion, with our own natural yearning. And this is why it works like mathematics, is when we bring these two elements together and all the things that we've been talking about this week. People sometimes, I think, get tired of me saying that Kriya Yoga is a comprehensive spiritual path and not just a technique. I think if I ever ran for president, my platform would be <laughs> Kriya Yoga is a spiritual path and not just a technique. Because it really brings all these things together. Everything we've been talking about this week is the path of Kriya Yoga, attunement and discipleship to the guru, the study of this philosophy to get an intuitive understanding of how to work with right attitude and all these other things, the science, the inner science, and the divine romance that we started the week off with, which is this deep yearning for God. People ask me on the path of Kriya sometimes, well, how do I develop and how do I get that devotion to deepen my practice? And you don't have to get it anywhere. It's not outside of yourself. I had a, a very inspiring experience. It was really, for me, it was unusual recently. It was uh, a few months ago. And I'd been doing a lot of traveling, doing Kriya programs. And I was kind of at the end of a lot of traveling and kind of at the end of my rope with doing a lot of traveling. In the United States, because we have a very small airport, Sacramento, we have these layovers and connections. And so I would, at the end of a very inspiring Kriya Yoga program, somewhere on the East Coast or somewhere, I would get on these planes and spend about 12 hours traveling. And, and very often, the routes would take, take me through Las Vegas. And all these people on the plane were talking about partying and getting drunk and what they were going to do. And, and I've gotten on planes at 8 in the morning when people already were drunk and partying. And just there was a certain anguish that was developing within me. And I just prayed to Divine Mother, where, where are the people who love you? Is there anyone? Can you help me? I really want your help. And I just want to see someone who loves you just to help me on this trip. And those who live in the world probably think I'm sort of a spiritual wimp for <laughs> thinking that way. And I, I plead guilty as charged. And so I got on this plane. And as soon as I sat down before the plane took off, there was a baby that was just screaming nonstop, just a few rows behind me. 
And it never stopped for about three hours. And it did stop about every 15 seconds just to <gasps> take a deep gasp of air and start screaming. But because of the mood I was in, I was really very thoughtful. And I could tell it was a newborn baby. It was just, it must have been a day or a few days old. That's the way it was crying. And I just started asking, well, why would a baby, why does a baby cry when it's born? And Master told us, and this is what I was tuning into, because it can't, it's not hungry yet. It's not, it's not feeling pain yet. It's just, uh, it's all new. It's just, you know, been fed with the blood of the mother coursing through its veins and all these things. The reason it's crying, and this is what Master said, is because it's just come from the astral plane, which isn't our true home, but it certainly is a truer home, and we recognize that it is much closer to home. And it comes from the breathless state. It just was in the breathless state even for those nine months. And it came out, and it's crying because it, it's yearning for its true home. It's saying, this place, I don't like this place. <laughs> What am I doing here? But it's karma compelled it to come back, just like all of us, which is a good thing to realize that if we continue to work on that and not create new desires and work these things out, we don't have to keep coming back and screaming when we show up and, geez, what, what am I doing here? And I have to say, it was for those three hours, it was really a deeply inspiring plane ride because I was infected with that baby's own yearning for God and for freedom. And I actually wanted to go back and sit down next to that baby. The parents probably would have not been very happy with what I would have said <laughs> because of what I wanted to say was to that baby, don't forget, don't ever forget. Your parents, your friends, they're going to try to make you forget. They're going to distract you. They're going to feed you. They're going to give you a little bright, shiny objects to play with. And as you get older, they're going to give you more objects and more things, all to try to distract you from remembering who and what you really are, where you came from, and what is your true home. And so you keep crying. Don't stop. <laughs> and I just want to say that's the spirit. And that's really how I felt. And that three hours was really deeply moving and inspiring. And so, so much of what we do at Ananda and what this points out is, is that devotion is not something unnatural. We're born with that. Literally, we are born with that yearning for divine freedom, that love for God. And then it's just sort of worked out of us over time. You know, as people say, oh, try this, try that. Oh, why are you unhappy? You shouldn't be unhappy. Let's distract you. And the world does it to us and friends and family until finally we forget. And then somewhere along the way, for all of us here, we woke up one day or started remembering. And Ananta alluded to this, but I think that at Ananda, it's really one of the incredible things about living in spiritual community. If you can possibly live in spiritual community, do it. One of the things that's remarkable about it, and I think almost maybe the main reason why we do it, every Sunday we have a Sunday service. Mornings we have meditation and chanting. We say prayers before we eat. We say prayers before meals. We have satsangs. We have spiritual renewal week. Why do we keep having to do this over and over and over again? You'd think that if it really worked, you would just do it once and we would have one spiritual renewal week and, <laughs> and that was it. But in fact, we spend a great deal of our time 
with just basically two very simple messages. One is, don't forget. And the other one is, for people who come who have forgotten, remember. That's, it's so simple. If you go to Sunday service, the whole festival of light, it's really just about this is who and what you are. This is where you came from. Don't forget. And it really is, devotion is the most natural thing in the whole world. It is what we're made of. We were made with it. We were born with it. It is who and what we really are. And you don't have to go find it. You don't have to get it. You just have to remember. And how do you remember? Just listen to that beautiful song this morning that they sang, The Divine Love Sorrows. I, for some reason, when Davy said that she was choosing that song to be sung this morning, my heart sort of melted because I've been singing ever since that baby was crying. I've actually been chanting that song over and over and over again as a way of reminding myself, don't forget and remember. And when you can cultivate that through different practices, Yogananda was once asked, how do I develop devotion? And his answer was very simple. Hang out with devotional people. Come to Ananda. In a way, well, Yogananda said that he used the analogy of Kriya Yoga, the path of Kriya, is the airplane route to God. And an airplane is a mechanical thing, and in a way that's the, the vehicle of Kriya. It has, you need a mechanic, you need things working properly and fixed. You also need a pilot. The pilot is the guru. If you uh, decide that, well, I don't need a guru, and you get in the pilot's chair, you find that those guys all have pilot's licenses from a long ways back. And if you get in there, you're going to crash the plane. So you need the guru as the pilot. But you also need something else. You can have the pilot. You can have that plane that's just been serviced and in prime condition. But it's going to sit on the runway until you put fuel into it. And fuel is that devotion. And the plane is not going to take off or it's going to just chug along if you have watered-down fuel, watered-down with spending a lot of time indulging in worldly things and those things that try to get you to forget. And so fuel up as often as you can. Come to, this is the greatest filling station for that <laughs> anywhere. I think when people spend a week here, I think a spiritual renewal week, those who visit, you go away feeling inspired and uplifted. You feel devotion. And work with all the different ways of cultivating, keeping it alive, reawakening that devotion, and adding that and infusing all of your practices with that. I think all of us, all Kriya Yogis, go through a time and other end times when our practice becomes mechanical and dry. And it's simply, it's very simple. There's the fuel is watered down, and it just, the vehicle can't work very well. And so work on this. Do devotional chanting. Take a chant that you really are inspired by and just sing it for a year and just really keep that awake. Yogananda said that when you have an, a divine experience with a devotional chant, and he said in a sense you've spiritualized it, even though the ones that Master are saying he put his spiritual energy and spiritualized, but when you have spiritualized a chant yourself, he said sing that chant a lot because it has spiritual power from your own involvement with it and your own devotion and your own divine experience with it and sing that chant over and over and over again all day long if you can and you'll find that more and more as you work with the fuel as you work with the vehicle itself keeping it in in good shape and you keep 
calling up to the cockpit and saying, pilot, I, I need your help. Steer me in a certain direction. What do I do now? You'll find that these things work without fail. They really, really do. And I can say that from so much experience of working with Kriya Yogis over the years in my own practice. It's not mechanical in how it works. It works by bringing together all these different things. And again, I'm not just talking about the technique. Those of you who are new and just uh, checking this out, stick your toe in the water and see how it feels. If your toe is already in, put the rest of the foot in there. Those who have the Kriya technique, realize that it's not just the technique that we're talking about. It's all of these different things. If you really want to know how to practice Kriya, even the technique, I always watch David Eby playing the cello. And every time I watch him play the cello, I think that's how you should be doing Kriya, not him personally, but that's how we should do Kriya Yoga. And it's very simple. He learned the techniques of playing the cello, the fingering. He did all the exercises. He did the discipline. He learned the science. And then it became very natural over time with practice. And it became so natural that now when he plays a piece of inspiring music, he's not thinking technique. He's thinking purely sharing divine inspiration with his divine music, sharing it with God, as just as a, almost as a devotional practice. And the technique is just a natural part because he's put the work into it. And it's like that with Kriya. See it as divine worship. See it as devotion. See it as sacred offering. And that's, again, when Kriya has the power to completely change our lives. Yogananda said once that you should hope to become a Jivan Mukta through the practice of Kriya Yoga. Jivan Mukta is someone who's completely liberated and free, who has Nirvikalpa Samadhi. And so give respect to these things, take it seriously with joy, and remember, always remember. I have a, a way of reminding myself and trying to remember. Whenever you want to remember to buy something and put it on your shopping list, you put it on your refrigerator. And so I have a a big sign on my refrigerator that says moksha, <laughs> which means divine liberation. And so I'm reminded every time I get my shopping list and I go to master's market, <laughs> I look for moksha. I'm looking, is, do they have moksha here today? But when I go to town, it's the same thing. Is there moksha? Is there a divine mother? Somewhere out here is divine mother. Somewhere out here is God. Somewhere out here is freedom. And you'll find if you're always looking, seek and you shall find. If you're always looking in that way for devotion, for awakening, the heart's natural love, as Sri Yukteswar called it, you'll find that you keep strong in the path of Kriya, you keep inspired, you keep motivated on the path of Kriya Yoga. And again, you see all the speakers this week are not just, in a way, talking about the path of Kriya, which everyone has been, about the how of Kriya. People are also living examples of what Kriya Yoga can do for you. And we've seen so many remarkable examples of this. As many of you know, my wife Maria passed away in December, and she was a lifelong Kriya Yogi. And it was just, it was so, it was still awe-inspiring to me to see how she transcended all her karma in the end and reached a degree of inner freedom that is the example, and we've seen other examples. There's, it's not like it was unique, although we're all unique, and the way we do it is unique. But we've seen so many examples of people living a life of Kriya Yoga 
and becoming inwardly free. And she was like all of us here, everyone in this you know, auditorium, this amphitheater today, with karma, with issues, struggling with health, and all these different things that everyone struggles with. And at the end, when she knew, as Lahiri Mahashai, Babaji sent Lahiri Mahashai the message through another disciple, tell Lahiri that the sands of his karma are about up. And she got that message just a few weeks before the sands of her karma were to come up. And so she knew that it was time to go. And, and it was in a way that was dealing with probably her worst fear in this life, which was dealing with cancer. And it had been a fear. But at the end, after all this practice of Kriya, she just said with a blissful smile on her face, one of the last things she said, she just looked at me, just moved to tears with bliss. She just looked and said, don't worry, I'm free. And she didn't say such things lightly, believe me. She was very self-deprecating. And she also didn't, she wasn't like, uh, she practiced the Kriya technique so incredibly perfectly that she went flying across the finish line and got a gold medal through her effort. It was, again, like all of us. Her effort was the best that she could muster with sincerity, with devotion, with service to the Guru, service to God, offering herself completely into divine grace, and in spite of all the stuff that was going on, and even offering that. We always used to have an expression between the two of us. When anything happened, whether it was good, whether it was bad, even when it was what some people would call really bad, we would just very simply say, Guru's grace, Guru's grace. Because when you see everything coming from God, you realize that, one, it's true, it does come from God. But even when our past karma comes and what we might think of as bad karma, the hand of God is drawn and the grace of God is drawn to, through it to us when we see it as coming from God. Yogananda said something one time that it's a simple saying, and those of you who are going to the first Kriya initiation at Hansa tonight, when you go in the, the door of the temple and you're in the foyer, look up on the wall before you go into the temple. And there's a quote from Yogananda there. He says, the time for knowing God has come. Very simple, the time for knowing God has come. Why did he say that? Because when you think about it, any time is the time for knowing God. I mean, a thousand years ago was the time for knowing God. Now, yesterday, tomorrow, it's all. But why did he say the time for knowing God has come? It's because people don't realize how difficult it can be to reach that final liberation. You know, people do come call sometimes and say, you mean I'm not going to get samadhi in six months through these practices? They go somewhere else where someone promises something like that. So it's not an easy path to overcome and become completely inwardly free of all karma, of all bondage. But what Yogananda meant was, was that now is the time because there, this is the new age of Dopara Yoga and a new practice has been brought. And between the path of Kriya Yoga, through the grace and the help of these divinely realized pilots who came here just to help us, through these teachings, through having a life that enables us to do all these things. You don't know when you reincarnate, you, the next 10 lifetimes could be just struggling to survive where you don't have the material conditions and the, the climate and the satsang and the support to practice these things. He's saying 
Now is the time. Do it now. Because not only is any time the time, but now you have a way, you've been shown a way, that actually makes it doable, that actually makes it in the realm of possibility for every single person who starts on this path of Kriya Yoga. And that's an extraordinary promise. It's, you hear the term, the opportunity of a lifetime. This is the opportunity of lifetimes because it takes lifetimes of good karma to come to a point like this. And it's a rare opportunity because it has the power to completely free us from things that we thought would be impossible. And again, anyone in this room, if you take up this practice and really work with it over time, you will achieve degrees of divine freedom that you really never ever thought possible. And you may find, like many here over the years and over the time of practice of following these teachings, that even in the midst of your worst fear, the worst karma, even as you're stepping into that fire, you'll be able to say with divine bliss, I'm free. I'm free. That's the promise in the power of Kriya Yoga.